You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Radio Tale CEO Gregory Gallant goes on the record online. The problem is it's really expensive to do a podcast, and it's really hard. It's really time-consuming. I mean, you have to find, you know, one thing a lot of people don't understand is you can't just do a one-off podcast. You can't say, oh, yeah, we should get into podcasting. Let's just record something for half an hour, and we're done. No, it means producing content every week, every month that's interesting, that's compelling, that spans time. So if a marketer is willing to put in that time to make something really compelling and is also bold enough to do it because, I mean, that's tough. You have to be willing to talk about oftentimes your competition, be willing to talk about your market and pull people away from your business for a long time. So if you can do it, great. But for 90% of companies out there, for most of the companies out there, it's either something that they can't do, that they don't have the talent in-house, they don't have the time to create this podcast, or you know, maybe if they can, it's really not good ROI to also build that audience and start to cultivate that community of listeners. But rather, there are all these great podcasts out there that have already done this and maybe have already done it in exactly your industry. So here's a trusted podcast. Everyone listens to it. So you can measure and you can just say, okay, well, we know if we spend you know, 10000 bucks here, we're going to reach out to you know, X many people in this great community exactly along the area that we want. And it's going to be quality content. We're not going to be embarrassed putting out bad content. And thanks for downloading another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media. And from time to time, we also talk to bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers uh, about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. My name is Eric Schwartzman. I host the show. I'm founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, we help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and public relations initiatives. And I'm also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today, we have a one-on-one interview with Radiotail CEO Gregory Gallant. It is the second in a series of uh, podcasts about measurement and building a business case for this emerging new media format we know and love and call podcasting. Uh, so many of us are so excited about this format. Uh, those of us who listen to the podcasts and uh, and and others who do podcasts, it's it's uh, a very tight knit community, and uh, we enjoy each other's podcasts. But when we get in front of a audience of executives or decision makers who may not be as familiar uh, with podcasts and who may not be as appreciative of the format, we're often asked to build a business case. Why should I podcast? What's the benefit? Uh, I know I'm getting something out of my trade show attendance. I know I'm getting something out of my TV advertisements. I know I'm getting something out of those billboards I drive around town. God only knows what, but something. Uh, 
so I'll continue to pay for that, but why should I pay for a podcast? And obviously when, when that question's asked, typically you have to be able to respond with numbers and that's where measurement comes in. And so well, what I'm doing is a series of, of, of podcasts on podcast measurement um, to help you better understand and appreciate uh, how to get your arms around the numbers and how to tell the quantitative story uh, of the value of podcasting. Um, I'm going to be doing all these uh, um, episodes dedicated to measurement leading up to uh, Podcast Expo, which is going to be uh, late September in October. Ontario, California, uh, and I'm actually going to do a presentation there about podcast measurement and about building a business case, and I hope to assemble a lot of the information that comes out of these uh, podcasts here into a white paper, assuming I have the time to do that uh, prior to the show. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get it at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can either post it to my blog at www.spinfluencer.com, or you can send me an email at eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, these podcasts are supported with the resources uh, of um, iPressroom Corporation, uh, which is my company and which pays for these podcasts. And, you know, it's not just me uh, that makes these podcasts. We have um, uh, people in the office who help with the research and the booking of the guests. Uh, there are people who uh, help with the uh, the transcribing of the notes. Uh, it's it's quite an operation. It's not a, not a one man band over here. And uh, you know all the time and energy is of course financed by iPressroom Corporation. So uh, with that in mind, if you enjoy the show, uh, I hope you'll take a minute to listen to this ad, uh, and then we're going to get on to the uh, interview with Gregory Gallant. As always, it comes to you entirely unedited. unedited. After this, don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Greg, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about RadioTail. Uh, specifically, walk us through the customized podcast statistics reporting uh, that, that is built into the application. Sure. We started RadioTail about a year ago. Soon after starting a podcast of our own, I was at CNN.com before this, and I launched Venture Voice to interview entrepreneurs and get their story. And we quickly were looking for the business model behind this, and we saw that there really wasn't anyone out there providing a platform to scale podcasts and to really make it a viable ad environment. So we, we set out to build a dynamic ad insertion system for podcasts in addition to a podcast ad network. And what we did almost as a prerequisite for our system was create a podcast metric system. So what that means is a system that's specifically geared to measure how media files for podcasts are accessed. So we built that system and we went out, in addition to the dynamic ad system, and we went out to podcasters and to large media companies that were podcasting. And we found that this little piece of our business, the metrics piece, which we thought was more of a prerequisite, turned out to be a huge value because a lot of people were just using web metric systems. And the standard web metric system someone uses is meant to track how someone interacts with a website within a browser. 
And of course, with podcasts, many of your users don't ever go through a browser onto your website. They might find you through a podcast directory like Yahoo Podcasts, or even more often they might find you through iTunes and subscribe in iTunes, so they've never gone to your website. So the challenge is to track those media files specifically, not just to mesh it in with the rest of your web stats. Now, obviously, there's, it's a pretty competitive environment out there. There's other people doing similar types of things. Um, in terms of measurement for podcasting, how do you differentiate RadioTail from the other offerings for measurement that are out there? It's a great point. We weren't the only ones to come up with this idea about a year ago. And what we've seen is we've approached this really half from the perspective of a podcaster, being podcasters ourselves, and being in New York and talking to the ad community, getting a good feel for the metrics that they're going to demand. So on one end, we made the statistics really easy for podcasters to get a good feel for how their podcast is being accessed. They can view their stats on a universal level, in turn, meaning that for each podcast they have, they can view the aggregate statistics of how their podcast is being viewed or being used across all their episodes. And then they can also delve and dig into each individual episode and break out the stats for every single episode. And all of this in a real-time environment. So as your podcast is being hit, after you just release it, you can compulsively check your stats, which is something that a lot of podcasters seem to relate to. And then another piece that we saw for the, what the advertisers demanded is that there are these big media files out there for podcasts. So with the web in general, you never had a problem thinking is a download complete or partial, how much they download, because an image would download really quickly over a high-speed connection. With media files, with these podcast media files, they're big. They're you know, 40 megs. You know how big these things can get. So a lot of users will only download part of it because they'll sample it through a program like iTunes where they'll only download about the first minute to give them a feel for what the podcast is and not download the rest. So we can really delve into that. We can tell who downloaded that first minute, who downloaded the whole podcast, and even more importantly, if there was an ad in that first minute, we can tell that that ad was downloaded during that sampling, whereas if the ad is five minutes in and the first person only, and the person only downloads the first minute, we can tell that they didn't download that ad. So we can really start to get these metrics that both advertisers demand and the podcasters can use to get a feel for how their show is going and get a good feel for their audience. And how does it work? If I want to use RadioTail to measure my audience, what do I do? We have two different solutions for podcasters. One is if a podcaster just wants to use us for statistics and maybe or maybe not wants to develop a business relationship with us, they can try our free solution, which we let people into right now. It's in working data where we have uh, many podcasters using it already. And with that, they can just simply set up a redirect through all their media files so that we can track in our system how people are accessing their media files and give those podcasters access, real-time access to their statistics. The other package that we have is a system that does total media file management. So it hosts a media file, it gets statistics on the media file, and when there are ad campaigns, it does dynamic insertion into the media file. For those, for those that don't know, just to clarify, what is a redirect? What does that mean? That means that you allow, when the user requests a file. So let's say you have iTunes and iTunes goes to download on the record. It's your favorite show, so it goes to download on the record. 
it'll simply pass through another server before hitting the actual file. So that way it lets that third-party server collect statistics on that, but at the same time, that third-party server doesn't have to bear the full load of serving the file, so a solution like that can be offered for free. I see. So let me ask you something. You know, you see so much waste in the business of media and advertising. Uh, you know, just the other day I was actually on the beach and I saw planes flying by dragging, um, they were dragging <laughs> signs to watch a certain television show that night on TV. And then later, the same weekend, I saw in front of the park, you know, they were driving one of those moving billboards. And I, I just thought, uh, boy, the politics behind that uh, certainly are quite divisive. Um, you know, using up uh, oil and, and, and taking up space to drive a billboard around. But, you know, these are tried and true practices, so they are rewarded with budget dollars. You know, when you come to the table with something new, like new media, like a podcast, how do you make the argument with, with the numbers that, that it's a good buy? That's a great question. And the funny thing is that podcasting, it can be measured better than any of those tactics you're talking about. And, of course, it's much more specific. But as you said, it's new. That's a challenge. So one of the big parts is just to educate advertisers. That's what we find when we go into meetings with advertisers. It's not a kind of meeting where we're spending them trying to sell them on us versus one of our competitors and you know, why our property is the best. Most of it's explaining what podcasting is all about. And the thing to communicate these media properties are and how intimate the connection is, which means in advertising speak, they call it engagement now. So that's kind of a debatable term in the industry. But basically, you're connecting with users for a really long time. When I was at CNN, we'd fight to keep people on the website for a few minutes. With podcasts, a lot of times you can tell that these listeners are staying for whole interviews that can last 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes. It's because it's a rich media, it's very much more, it's just a much higher engagement. The person is listening to the people speak, they almost feel like, I mean, it's just like being on a telephone call with people or seeing people in person. And you can tell that if you read message boards out there, if you look at the little wars that go on in the podcast community, people are passionate about who they're listening to. And this is stuff you can really point to. So at the end of the day, when you're sitting down with these advertisers, you have to get them excited. You have to tell the story of just all the people out there who are excited about podcasts, who are using it, throughout their day. In fact, one of the other interesting things with podcasting is you can reach people in a niche environment at times you never could before. So if you used to want to reach people during their commute, you know, the hours that they're spending in traffic, you used to have to go on the radio, which as he said is as bad as flying planes over people's head. You have no clue who you're reaching. The measurement stinks. With podcasting, all of a sudden, you can get people in the car and they're, you know, if they're listening to this show, you know they're interested in media. You know they're, you know, probably of a certain income bracket. I mean, you know they have an iPod or some other MP3 player. So all of a sudden, you can reach people throughout the day in these portable environments and these highly engaged communities very easily. Now, Greg, you worked for a while at New Light Associates, and they have $120 million under management. They're a VC firm. So i got to think that you're a numbers guy. Give us some hard numbers. I mean, give us, give us something to hang our hat on. What does it cost? What should it cost? What are, when you're out there talking to advertisers, 
what are you recommending that they should be paying either on a CPM basis or a CPC basis or some other metric that perhaps you're, you're talking to them about? But give us some hard numbers. What's the value of the audience? Sure, and that's, that's one of the things where what, what you really have to think about is the metrics around that because and kind of what, what values really drive it because one audience isn't necessarily worth what another audience is, even of the same size. So we, we go about it a few ways. You know, one is that there's sometimes, if it's, a, if it's a small show and it's the type of thing where an advertiser wants to just totally engage that community for a length of time, we'll generally see it works as a sponsorship. You know, it could range anywhere from a thousand, you know, a few thousand a week, uh, depending on the audience. And then as you get to a larger level and it gets more sophisticated, you, you'd start to break down I don't know if you want to call it CPM, but let's say cost per thousand downloads. So there are a lot of interesting ways to drive at that number. One is I always like to cite broadcast radio as a baseline because, you know, it's really not as good. It's not as niche. The user's not as engaged, but at least it's audio. At least it's something we can point to that advertisers understand. In broadcast radio, if you talk to people in the business, you'll see there the cost per thousand listeners starts around maybe $15, $30, and can quickly scale up to over $100 if you're reaching the right demographics. So I always thought that, that was an interesting place to start from. Then going from there with podcasts, you can start to break it down and see, okay, now we're going to actually reach a community. We can actually measure this stuff. We don't have to just rely on 1 in 10,000 people taking a survey. So to me, you know, you can argue for those CPMs, to start to get up there, you know, into the um, high double digits, into the triple digits in some cases, because you can start to break down these audiences. In terms of finding that one CPM number, I mean, that's what everyone loves to try to figure out, and that's what you want really people to throw out the number for. But you can't really do that, because, you know, even if you look at banner ads, which have been around, you know, for, what, 10 years, 15 years now, there's no one banner ad CPM because you can go on some websites where the audience is broad and uninteresting, and then you can go to other websites like CNET or gadget websites, and you'll see the, you know, the CPMs for those banner ads are going to be ten times the CPMs for banner ads on other sites. So it's it's still a measure, you know, where you have to kind of feel out what audience you're reaching. Maybe you want to look at comparative subject matter or media properties that reach comparative subject matter. But what you really want to do is you have to kind of take that combination of the very specific audience that you're reaching and what that audience is worth and then also how you're reaching them that make the argument that you're reaching them in that really engaged manner. One of the things I, I continuously read is uh, the acknowledgement amongst buyers, media buyers and planners, that uh, there are no standardized metrics in the world of podcasting today. And until there are standardized metrics, it's going to be difficult for this really to take off um, as, as, a media f as an ad-supported media format. Now, obviously, you know, you have an interest in seeing uh, your metrics become a standard. There are others who, who have that interest as well. But what you're saying here effectively is there can be no standards because each audience needs to be measured against different standards. Well, that's not, that's not quite what I'm saying. In other words, they, I'm, I'm saying there's not going to be a standard CPM. So the value of each audience isn't going to be the same 
but the metrics could start, still be the same. Like how, how, in do tradition. You, how, how do you do that? Like, well, what's going to be that measurement? Is there going to be a new measure that we're going to have to grapple with to understand the value of this audience? Well, so there are going to be some standard measurements like total downloads. We hope you know total complete downloads will start to be a standard metric too. So to me, that's the baseline. Then the other question painted around that is how you value that. So you know, you're, I think the standard metrics are going to be those total downloads, starting to look at repeat downloads, repeat users, types of metrics like that. Then the second part of that is you know, what should the cost be? And there's no market where the cost for every media property is the same because you have to take those metrics and you have to look at, okay, well, what's the subject matter now that we're reaching? You know, who, you know, who are these people in the audience now? Well, clearly in the world of television, there are certain, you know, young, the, the advertisers crave the young, the young uh, viewers. But uh, in the world of podcasting, it seems as though your audience is um, selected more by a psychographic profile than a demographic profile. Would you agree? That seems to be the driver, but they often coincide. So a lot of topics, you know, like technology, everyone's interested in technology, but you're not hard-pressed to guess the demographics of a technology podcast. It's probably 90% male, you know, 25 to 35, or that standard area. So they tend to coincide in many cases, you know. Now, you've been doing this for, well, when did you launch Radio Tale? We launched it in June 2005. So any big surprises? I mean, from the day that you said, I'm going to launch this venture, we're going to go in this direction, anything uh, that, you've, that, that has been really a, a departure from what you thought would be the norm? There have been a lot of surprises in podcasting for me. Um, you know, one thing was I knew, pot, I knew iTunes was going to be influential. I didn't know it would be this influential that it's just, currently really dominating. There's no, really, I can't think of any other podcast directory that has any kind of influence in comparison to iTunes. So I think podcasters, whereas when I started, we're focusing, looking at all these different podcast directories. Now podcasters, I think, are well advised to focus 90% of their time thinking about how their podcast presents at iTunes. And also how quickly large media companies would jump into this. I thought that it would be the realm of independent podcasters for at least a year. But it's turned out that it's uh, gotten very competitive, which I think is a good thing. It pushes everyone to break to a higher standard and gives them more legitimacy. In fact, uh, you know, if you look on the front page of the New York Times, a couple months ago they were advertising their podcasts and every single media property pretty much now is advertising their own podcasts in the paper. So I think that's been a great thing for podcasting, just you know, the quick um, acceptance of it from media companies, and, and now it puts us on a level playing field. You know, that's a great distinction because it seems to me that mainstream media outlets that launch a podcast have a market advantage over independent podcasters because they can promote it in their print or their broadcast media. Yeah, that, you definitely think that, and they definitely do, except the interesting thing is that they don't have a huge advantage. So if you look at organically grown podcasts, and then you look you know, from independent people who really understand the medium, 
And then you look at some media properties that do it badly, where they just kind of say, okay, let's just start reading off some of our stories and throw them out there. You can see that oftentimes on the iTunes charts, the independent podcasters beat out. And the media companies that do do well with it are the ones who really spend a lot of time understanding the medium and put a lot of resources behind it. So it still seems to be the kind of thing where media companies have to work pretty hard to compete with independent podcasters. It's not just a shoe-in. A lot of people thought, okay, if I'm doing a podcast about entrepreneurship and an entrepreneur uh, ship-based magazine releases a podcast, they're just going to dominate the space, and I'm, not, I'm going to be insignificant now. And it, it turns out if you look at these narrow areas, that's not the case. The media companies still have to work for it. Well, let's talk about that because you, the name of your company is Radio Tail. Is that a, is that a play on long tail? Exactly. So explain to me what, what, your, what your idea was for the business from a strategic standpoint when you, when you came up with this name, Radio Tail. What does that mean? Sure. So the long tail says that if you start to aggregate all these real niche areas, that, in that, that while any of the niche areas aren't going to be as significant as a very popular subject, you know, like general news, but the, all the niche areas in aggregate are going to be both have more people interested in them and also be more valuable because it's such a more segmented market. So we've seen that if you look at traditional rich media and let's just say audio specifically, it's conventionally been things that are mass popularity. So you look at any radio market and so many of the stations are top 40, you know, weather and traffic because they have to be, you know, it's a jet geographic region, you're limited in the number of radio stations you can have, it costs a lot of money to do a radio station. So you can never launch a radio show for a real niche topic. With podcasting, that all changed. So now you can launch podcasts and it can be aimed at 10 people, it can be aimed at 5 people, it doesn't cost, it costs barely anything to produce it, very little to distribute and to promote it. So what we saw with podcasting was all of a sudden it's a long tail of radio and now a video too, where you can have all these great niche areas and start. And our challenge as an ad company is to start serving across that long tail and in many cases aggregating those uh, smaller shows along interest, but along various interests to make it interesting to advertisers and let advertisers approach this long tail. So I just want to uh, play devil's advocate here for a moment because it was actually a lunch that I set up between Chris Anderson and Robbie Van Atabay, um, who was then uh, CEO of a, uh, of a, uh, digital, of a down, music downloading company that led to the original long tail story that ran in the magazine prior to the book. And at the time, uh, what had happened was Robbie uh, said to uh, Chris, um, hey, we have uh, umpteen thousand songs on our network, what percentage do you think gets played on a monthly basis? And the answer, which Chris gave and which pretty much every music executive had given up to that t- after that time, this was like a stock question when he had meetings with people, they would typically say around 20, you know, the old 80-20 rule. And, uh, and the answer was, in fact, 98%. And it was that that actually led to Chris then going over to Netflix and Amazon and coming up with this interesting long-tail theory. But what wasn't happening at that time and what is happening now, um, at that time, there was all this music and you could choose whatever music you wanted from the network. Well, since then, 
the same company that asked that question to Chris Anderson has started running ads on their user interface. And what they find is when they run those ads on the interface, plays of those particular songs advertised shoot up by as much as eight, nine hundred percent. And they're starting to, to, to catalog this. And they're looking at it and they're thinking, hmm, wow, this is really something because, sure, the long tail in aggregate is lucrative, but uh, the media or advertising, per se, is, is actually the dog wagging the tail. And so that's why I, I originally said to you, you know, when you look at uh, an organization like the New York Times or the New York Times Syndicate or Tribune Media, you know, these uh, megaopolies that have uh, – uh, a presence in broadcast television and, and cable television and print. I mean, it just seems like, um, you know, if they get it together and they put together a great show, how could anybody compete? I think about uh, a, a personality like a Maureen Dowd, who's obviously, uh, you know, so revered and, and people actually subscribe to the New York Times just to get her. I mean, what happens to. Uh, you know, a a snarky show like um, what's the show with the gal who recently left? Oh, uh, Rocket Boom. Yeah. What happens to a show like that when Maureen Dowd decides she wants to do a, a, a quirky take on the news or what happens when uh, Amy Poehler at, at Saturday Night Live decides they're going to do it? I mean, it seems like the production value, uh, you know, the, the, the ingenuity, uh, the wit is so much keener from those individuals. I just can't imagine you know, how people, how, how regular independents would compete. Now, that's not to say there's not going to be the breakaway, you know, greats in every category, because certainly there are going to be. I mean, look at uh, the, the guy on um, Daily Cost. I always pronounce it wrong. But uh, but I, when I was talking actually to Rick over at Feedburner, he had mentioned that, uh, you know, this guy made it from a blog to meet the press, which is unheard of. I mean, that, that never would have happened prior to podcasting. But I, I, I just wonder if this whole long tail phenomenon isn't ultimately going to be canceled out by the reach and frequency of mainstream media. It's a great point, and I think that's one of the things we'd be remiss not to kind of wrestle with in a discussion of the long tail. But if you look at it, and even if you look at other forms of media today, it's all about how niche the content is. So, you know, the question comes down to, would I rather, if I'm in new media, would I rather listen to you doing a new media podcast that's aimed at the 10,000 people in the industry? Meanwhile, you know, the New York Times could never afford to do a podcast aimed at 10,000 people. You know, the economics just don't work for a huge media company. Or if they did, it'd be a radical departure from the way that media companies, large media companies typically operate. So I might be able to listen to something with great production values done by the New York Times on very general interests or I could listen to something that affects, you know, 10,000 people in my industry. And I'd rather hear about my industry. And I think the other interesting thing with podcasting is that, you know, I've looked a lot into, because we'll talk with media companies and you talk with scaling this content. So you look at, like, the marginal value of the quality. So what I find is that you can usually get to, like, that kind of 80 90% quality with about 1000 bucks and a little bit of experience. And then to get from like that 90% to 100%, there you have to start to spend, you know, 10,000, tens of thousands building studios, getting audio engineers or video editors. And oftentimes the difference between that 90% and the 100% doesn't make up for the quality of the content. So 
you know, for most listeners, like you'd rather hear something that really appeals to you and maybe is a little rough around the edges, but overall pretty well done than something that's perfectly produced and also, you know, for the most part, uninteresting. So, so this is a wonderful point you make, the idea that, um, you know, this program, for example, appeals to a niche audience. It's never going to be um, a viable uh, a program for an advertiser to reach a broad audience. It is going to – it could, could help you reach a niche audience but not a broad audience. So in the world of advertising – where typically uh, reach is your inventory, um, how do you decide if you're a brand marketer considering podcasting whether or not to go with sponsoring podcasts of other people uh, on an advertising basis or whether or not to just create your own marketer-generated podcast where you're discussing interest, uh, subjects that would be of interest to your potential customers? Well, so the, it's a, it, that's a really good question because that's a question you get from advertisers. And straight out, every single advertiser, in theory, would prefer to do their own podcast, to have everyone listen to it, and to never sponsor another podcast. The problem is it's really expensive to do a podcast, and it's really hard. It's really time-consuming. I mean, you have to find... You know, one thing a lot of people don't understand is you can't just do a one-off podcast. You can't say, oh, yeah, we should get into podcasting. Let's just record something for half an hour, and we're done. No, it means producing content every week, every month that's interesting, that's compelling, that spans time. So if a marketer is willing to put in that time to make something really compelling and is also bold enough to do it because, I mean, that's tough. You have to be willing to talk about oftentimes your competition be willing to talk about your market and pull people away from your business for a long time. So if you can do it, great. But for 90% of companies out there, for most of the companies out there, it's either something that they can't do, that they don't have the talent in-house, they don't have the time to create this podcast, or you know maybe if they can, it's really not good ROI to also build that audience and start to cultivate that community of listeners. But rather, there are all these great podcasts out there that have already done this and maybe have already done it in exactly your industry. So here's a trusted podcast. Everyone listens to it. So you can measure and you can just say, okay, well, we know if we spend, you know, 10,000 bucks here, we're going to reach out to, you know, X many people in this great community exactly along the area that we want. And it's going to be quality content. We're not going to be embarrassed putting out bad content. So it's a simple, you know, it's an R, they should look at it for ROI. You know, how am I going to, do better for myself, and oftentimes it makes more sense to find a media property out there than create your own. It's the difference between saying we're going to advertise in a newspaper or we're going to run our own newsletter. Sure, a lot of companies use newsletters, but it doesn't have the efficiency and it doesn't have the, uh, the quick usage that another media property has. So, Greg, when you're meeting with an advertiser and you have this discussion and the decision is made, hey, we're going to advertise. We're not going to do our own show. We want to buy advertising time and, and some of the podcasts you represent. What is the metric by which you value the audience? Is it a CPM? So if we're doing a large-scale campaign, uh, one thing to bring up, too, is it's not necessarily mutually exclusive. Sometimes it works for a marketer to do their own podcast and then at even advertise their own podcast and other podcasts. But getting beyond that, if we're doing a large-scale campaign, 
and not just a couple podcasts here and there. We'll break it down to a cost per thousand download. And then, you know, honestly, it's still a little bit of the Wild West with that. You know, there is no standard. But, we're, you know, we're creative. Sometimes it comes down to figuring out, okay, well, you know, are you looking to do something really broad here where maybe there's a bit of a lower CPM or is this a really niche community where, you know, we're able to reach this great group that's in a lot of demand and that drives it up. So ultimately, you know, it's really supply and demand. Do you think that, uh, or, or do, you, do you make the argument that somehow if they listen longer or, or the, in some way a podcast is more valuable than other media? I think that's a great point. You know, if you look at CNN.com or a lot of the other places you go to, a lot of websites struggle to keep people for a few minutes. With podcasting, it's much higher engagement and there's much more intimacy and kind of level of association that people have with the media property. So it's a great point in talking with advertisers that they're tapping into this community of people who are making serious time investments in this media property. And also that it lets them reach users at times they could never reach them before. So if you advertise on a website, you can only get them in front of their computer. The reason Home Depot today is the largest advertiser in radio because they want to reach you in your car and your commute because it might be valuable to have you say, oh, let me stop at Home Depot on my way home. A lot of implications, you know, if you can start reaching people with podcasts now in their car while they're traveling, while they're exercising, and you can reach them in a different way and also when they're totally focused because when you're at the computer now, you're multitasking, you're looking at your news, you're chatting on AIM, you're Skyping people, as opposed to when you're driving or when you're exercising, there's only one form of media you can consume at that time. Greg, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. My pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.